Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me, as always, DJ Mark. Sup? Also joining us this week, Kid Presentable. Fellas? Finally. Also joining us this week, Lavender Gooms. Greetings and salutations. I have a quick question, though, um, particularly for Steph. So... We're using a new uh, program this week. We're using Microsoft Teams. And I'm not going to say the name that's on Steph's uh, thing, but it is not his name. What's uh, what's up with the name that's in your uh, Microsoft Teams? Oh, it'll be a uh, it is a reference to stuff I like this week. Oh, Oh, so you meant to put that in. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's right. We are all vaccinated. And what happens is at the end of it, Bill Gates is imprinted into as is implanted into you the need to use Microsoft Teams. So it took a couple months to take, but here we are. We are on Microsoft. Yeah, what Teams. did you guys do with your uh, Microsoft uh, vaccination chip money? I don't, you know, you guys got the paycheck. The check cleared for you, right? Dude, my my five G is large. My five G is real wonky. All right, it's real wonky out here. I don't know. I might need a booster. We got to see what's going on. Um. All right, boys and girls, we're going to talk about um, Corey Sandhagen uh, taking an L to TJ Dillashaw. Did he deserve it? We're going to talk about TJ Dillashaw. Where does the guy go from here? He just got a win? Is he getting a title shot? Probably not because he's going to sit around for a while and he wants to fight. Um, Just to talk about uh, some bad judging that happened. Seems like people don't read the MMA rules, which is what I was doing before this this, uh, podcast. I was reading the MMA rules. And I, you know, I learned some stuff. Anyway, we're going to see if there's any news this week. Um, it seems like we got a welterweight title fight penciled in for um, Mike's Neck of the Woods in November. We're going to talk about that. Um, and we're going to make some picks for this weekend's trash UFC card. And Bellator, also not so good card, but a great main event. We're going to talk about the two main events for those two cards. And a little stuff we like. Uh, stay tuned for why Stefan's got a name. That none of us recognize right now in Microsoft Teams. Mystery name. Mystery name. Um, Marcus, Sandhagen and Dillashaw. Yes, We've been looking forward to this one for a while. We got yeah. a delay in there. And let me tell you, my friend, uh, this did not disappoint on any level for me. What did you think about this yeah, fight? It, it, it was a really good fight. Um, I think watching it, I think for, for me personally, I think a lot of the narrative of the fight was around TJ. I, th- I think Corey did a lot of great things in this fight. But at least when I was watching it, it was always like, how is TJ going to react to certain things? Um, and, and for me, like, I don't know, sometimes in fights, like, the narrative that starts playing in my head is more about one fighter than the other. And the other guy's just kind of there to be a obstacle or a block. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I did know that TJ won. I knew that it was somewhat controversial. And I knew that it was a good fight. You know, I think the headline I read before I saw the fight was an instant classic um, and TJ won a somewhat controversial uh, decision. So, I mean, in and of the fight itself, I was impressed with TJ coming back from two years um, against a guy like Tor- Corey Sanhagen, which last week, you know, I was just beaming about, you know, how impressed I had been 
Um, definitely need to give a little more respect to Aljamain Sterling because he did walk right through this guy. Um, and TJ was able to utilize some of those skills that um, Corey uh, kind of got exposed on when he fought Aljamain, mostly with uh, his inability to kind of escape clinches. And I guess, you know, if we're going to break down the fight, I'll do it quickly. Um, TJ won a fight that I think a lot of people found the, the decision to be somewhat controversial. Um, and mostly how he won the rounds that he won was just off of pressure, forward pressure. He was basically in the center of the octagon the majority of the fight. And he was able to get into clinch positions, particularly getting Corey's back and holding him there and controlling him there and landing some knees to the legs and sometimes would go for a takedown. He was never able to hold Corey down except for the first round. Um, so I, I think if you're, you know, big highlight moments, the first round was really great. Corey came out hit him with a, a pretty decent shot, and then a flying knee. TJ was able to take him down off that flying knee, but in the scramble got kind of caught in an inverted triangle for you know about like 20 seconds or so. It was fairly tight. Corey ended up kind of giving it up and attacking the leg, and for a lot of that first round, it was Corey on bottom kind of fighting the leg, trying to get submissions, and TJ on top. What's that? He popped the knee. Exactly what I'm getting to. So it, late in the round, um, you know, Corey really attacked the leg, and that's where TJ probably landed some of his best punch of the whole fight. He, you know, because Corey was so focused on the leg, um, he couldn't defend himself. TJ probably got in two really good shots that I think kind of shook Corey just a little bit. But in that process, did damage to, to TJ's leg. And, and, you know, when the round finally ended and you saw TJ walk back to the corner, he was compromised. Like, he had a hard time getting back to the corner. And the second round, there was, you know, a good amount of time was spent him kind of jumping on the leg, kind of testing the leg. It definitely seemed like it was going to be an issue. Come the third round, you know, whether it just worked itself out or whatever the case may be, it didn't seem like it was affecting him too much, except for the fact that he did say after the um, after the fight that, you know, he got this back position multiple times, but really didn't ever sink the hook in, and that seemed to be a direct result from that injury. Bob? I think he was uh, more southpaw, honestly, the rest of the fight, because it was his left leg. That was compromised. I noticed him leading with his right more than anything else. The rest of the fight, at least. That's what I caught. I mean, he wasn't like he wouldn't go back to orthodox. But because of his left leg, I think was more compromised. I think, at least. I know he likes to switch between stances. But he seemed like after that, he was really heavily on the southpaw stance. Heavily on the southpaw yeah. stance. Yeah. So, I mean, other highlights. Second round, uh, Corey had a really great round. Did a lot of good damage. And he opened up a big cut. And, and we, again, after the fight, learned this is the same cut that TJ had previously before their first fight which actually caused it to be canceled so you know it, it's an area that that tends to get cut fairly easily but it was a bad cut you know it was right on the eyebrow and the center of like kind of right above the nose bleeding into the eye they 100 um, they stopped that fight in new york after what we saw with the diaz masvidal fight it's that type of cut where they were like they wouldn't have taken they would have stopped it if it was a different yeah. commission yeah. it was less but it was it was definitely yeah. um you know and these were all things you know when i was watching the fight i was like oh you know how is the tj going to deal with the knee how is tj going to deal with the cut um, Corey was doing good work, but he never really kind of took center and control the fight. It was always TJ was dictating and Corey was kind of following behind. Still had great rounds. Definitely won the second round, which I said he landed those big shots, opened the cut. Definitely uh, won the fourth round where he did a lot of good damage. I think a lot of people gave TJ the third. That's where TJ started throwing some low kicks, and it seemed to, you know, upset Corey a little bit. It seemed to stagnate him just a little bit. Um, and then I think, you know, a lot of the controversial came into the fifth round. I, I think a lot of people, and it's just easy to do. When you're going in the fifth round and it's really close, kind of be like, you know what? Seems 2-2. Two, two. It seems like TJ got one and three. Corey got two and four. Whoever wins this round is going to win the fight. And, you know, 
in my eyes, and I think in a lot of other people's eyes, Corey did enough to pull away. You know, he landed some cleaner shots. Um, but again, I think ultimately the judges gave it to TJ because I think he was in the center a little bit more. I think he got some of those back clinches again. Um, and again, he, w- he ends up winning the fight off of position and aggression instead of just doing clean work, which I think that's what Corey did. Corey landed some great yeah. shots to the body. I wish he went to the body a lot more in this fight. He was having good success there. Obviously landed some good punches to the head, but it, it was a close fight. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, TJ got the nod. Um, it was a pretty good performance, I think, from him for being gone for two years, you know, to fight someone like Corey and to put on a performance like he did. You know, I think Morley yeah, wins. Absolutely. He ultimately got the W. So. Yeah, and uh, Ring Rust isn't real. I'm going to stand by that. Dominic Cruz said it again. Um, man went out there, looked great. Before I get into my discussion about judging, because I've been doing homework and I'm about to explain, I'm about to drop some science. On our audience, because uh, this things are, uh, this sports judging isn't as haphazard as it is being treated by the judges itself. Stefan, um, TJ said he wants a title shot. He just beat the number one contender. That's not named Peter Yan. He also said he wants to stay active. Assuming we're waiting a little bit longer on Aljo to, I don't know what Aljo's if he's already training again or what happened with his neck surgery. Assuming yet TJ has to get another fight, who do you think it should be with? Um, if it's, you know, if whenever we don't even yawn and Aljo hasn't actually even on, it's not even on the book. So we don't exactly. even know the timeline of that, but obviously that needs to happen. Um, I guess the, the other big name waiting in the wings is my guy, Rob Font. Did um, he get a fight booked or not? Did we, were we talking about, or did he just fight? We were talking about Rob Font recently. I'm trying to remember what the context was. You, you keep talking. I, I'll look, I'll I like look it up. I'll look it up. You keep talking. Uh, yeah, just because he's he's kind of the guy who has the momentum after um you know uh, going over Marlon Morace, another guy who had kind of been in the perennial top. Uh, you know uh, he wasn't going to cut that line, obviously, with the controversial Yon Aljo finish with that knee and the title changing hands over it. You know, um, I think that's really the only time I can recall a situation like that. We all knew the immediate rematch was coming. Um, and then it turned out Aljo had surgery or an injury uh, that he needed to mend from. So, yeah, it, it really is just kind of a long stop on the whole division. Um, you know, I, I see people like, oh, does TJ deserve it off of one win? Yeah, probably. I, I, a lot of people seem to disagree with that. And I keep saying, like, well, he cheated, so he doesn't deserve that, right? I'm like, yeah, but he was also champion. Yeah, he also won a bunch of big names. Like, He just beat the, damn number, he just beat the damn number one and contender. And he just beat <laughs> Sandhagen, yeah. a guy that people are like, should Sandhagen be next, you know? So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know some people have some harsh feelings on him because uh, of the EPO thing, uh, which, uh, like I said, EPO doesn't matter because look who was going strong in the fourth and fifth rounds. After the long layoff, right? The man, he didn't need it. He's got the hyperbaric time chamber. No, nah, he's on that. He's, he's on fine. that. What's that commercial with Frank Thomas? Where Frank Thomas is like at the gym lifting weights and some lady's like, oh, look at Frank. She's like, she's all impressed with him. That's what TJ's on now. It's that old man testosterone. Um, Rob Bond beat Cody Garbrandt at the end of May. That's what it was. <laughs> that's ah, it. that's right. So he's coming off of a win too. So it's probably Rob. Rob Bond is the guy. That's it. Oh yeah, and then I was saying, has has Southwest given uh, Rob Font free fights for life for defending the honor? He of should. The, uh, they should. Everywhere. Um, yeah. Um, it was close. It was a good. It was a really good fight. Honestly, I I is one of those fights where you knew going in. I'm like, this is the kind of fight you want people to watch about. Like, and when it comes to MMA, because of the, like, this is a real representation of this sport completely. You know what I mean? Like, these guys do everything. Um. All right, there was a lot of bad judging on this card. Um, 
We're going to, you know what, let's, let's Mark, why don't you talk about what happened with Macy Barber's fight before we get, I, I go into my diatribe about judging. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Macy Barber was fighting, um, Miranda Maverick, who I wasn't super familiar with, uh, but Miranda did really good in this fight. Uh, the first two rounds, I think pretty clearly both just watching the fight and the stats showed that, you know, she basically beat Macy. Macy just definitely had a slow start. I think she did a little bit more in the second, but it was definitely not her round. And then, honestly, even in the third round, I was like, I give it to Barbara, but it was still like pretty close. Um, and then she ultimately got the nod. So it was kind of, it was a little, and the second round was the one in question, but I, you know, clearly, and I think the commentators' minds and my eyes, um, you know, Miranda won that fight. Um, but Macy got the nod, you know, it's just, it's just how it goes. And, you know, like, like we said in the past, you know, this is one of the things we have to kind of remember these kind of murky decisions because, you know, three fights from now, we'll be like, oh, look at Macy. She's on, you know, a, a five fight win streak. She's on fire. And it's like, well, one of those was very controversial. She probably shouldn't have won that. Um, no one's you know, because at sucks. the end of the day, it's just a W in the column and it's an L for the other uh, yeah. combatants. So unfortunate, but, you know, that's just how it, it goes. It, and this wasn't really wasn't like the TJ fight where the TJ fight was pretty close. Um, and when you start dicing up five rounds, you start seeing like, okay, maybe if it really came to that fifth round, you look at the stats, it's like, I think Corey should have won that. But this one was pretty clearly like, okay, I think I give Macy the third, but she definitely didn't get one and two. So how she ended up with that split was a little suspect. Um, yeah, and there was, and the co-main event had some, there was like three fights on this card where people didn't know what to make of the judging. So I want everybody here to be honest with me when I tell you guys this is the way that apparently I read the rules. This is how they're supposed to be judging fights, not how they're actually judging them. When they go out there and say it's effective striking and grappling, effective aggressiveness and fight and control, it isn't that you wait all three of those things. There is a specific order you go in. And this is, I'm literally reading the rules when I say this. It goes in order. So you, you, effective striking and grappling, the only way you look beyond that is if those, if that, if that is a complete tie. It literally says that the criteria may not move from one to the next without the prior criterion being 100% even in the judge's assessment. Meaning, when we say a guy, yeah, Mike's got to look at his face like he never read the, like, I'll be honest, I, didn't, I learned some stuff today. Um, basically, if, a, if effective striking and grappling is 100% even, then you move on to aggressiveness. And if that is even, then you move on to just control of where they're fighting. So when people are like, oh, TJ Dillashaw, and, and this isn't, a, I'm not pointing at you, Mark, but you mentioned it. People probably say that might have been why he got the decision is control or something like that, right? That should mm -hmm. only have come into play if the judges viewed, you know, that the effect, the striking was equal. The striking and grappling was equal. And when they're talking about effective grappling, it's not that like you held a guy. It has to have an immediate impact. So. When we talk about the judging in this sport, I know we like to say it's a fucking Wild West and everybody's making it up as they go. They've made these rules. They've made the criteria. Whether anybody's following it, I think, appears to be the problem. Wouldn't you say, Mike? <laughs> well, there's a difference between having a set of rules and people actually following those sets of rules. Because jaywalking is still illegal and everyone still does that all of the time. So even though what you read, in theory, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we know that a lot of people don't follow it because judges are humans just like us. And well, some I'm, not talking, I'm, not, I'm not talking about a, a judge. I apologize for cutting you off, but I'm not talking about like 
um, what I'm trying to get my point is not that the is not that people are trying to act like the judging in MMA is fucked because of the criteria. No one understands the, the criteria is blatantly clear. It's a lack of quality human beings. I'd say is the point I'm well, trying that, to make. That's that's what I was getting at. Oh, sorry. That the, the the variable in this are the human beings. Um, having read that, I think I think any one of us having read that could probably be pretty decent, pretty decent judges. Mm. Um, but you get a lot of judges that they'll maybe take into account aggressiveness and not even care about what the actual rules say. Maybe they'll get caught up in the emotion of it, or maybe they just stay on a certain narrative with a certain fighter while while they're judging. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different things. Um, that's one of the issues when you introduce the human element, let's say in umpiring, refereeing, and in this case, judging. What I would have liked is like there was a, I don't know if you guys listened to the commentary at all, but there was a part where Daniel Cormier, whenever TJ would just like grab uh, dudes back for a minute and nothing would happen, um, and Daniel Cormier is like, "Are they scoring these? Because he's got control." And I'm like, I, I don't know if Daniel Cormier doesn't. I don't know if I want Daniel Cormier maybe to like read this first. Like I would like the commentators to be a bit more informed, or at least if they're gonna frame it like that, say like, "Hey, maybe I mean this is incorrect, but maybe they're viewing it like this." You know what I mean, Steph? Like, I mean, I think like doesn't they just read the rule, the the criteria at the beginning, and nobody actually like they just assume it's like oh these three things. They don't actually say like hey, it's effective striking and grappling, and these other ones only apply if that's even. I mean, to uh, make it worse, Bob is like not everyone uses the same rule set, right? Mm-hmm. We're still declaring when they do and don't use the unified rule set, right? Mm-hmm. So depending on where the venue is and what city we're fighting in. The criteria is not the same either. Well, I think the so, criteria... And like, what's... what's? I think the criteria is the same. I think it's whether what you can do in the cage is still... Well, I think up. it's I think it's telling that we've all been watching the UFC. We've been doing this show for five years. And this is the first time I've ever heard there is an importance. There is, like, a yeah. gradient of this is first. Because that has never been... A, they they say the rules and the judging criteria on every fucking event. And I don't. And I didn't. See, I only watched the main event in the Marcy Barber, uh, Macy Barber fight, so I didn't see the opening where they do that. So I don't know if that was no, emphasized I, 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 more I, I, on this broadcast, or for whatever reason the judging was bad, and the commentators like, okay, we need to address really what the rules. I think that's a no. They didn't do this at all. This is me doing this. They did. They, they John Anik. I'm not blaming him. He just reads the same judging is good. He does it like he's going through the terms and conditions on a fucking like gambling. app. I mean, you know, I've mentioned it many a times why I like the pride judging so much outside of it. Just being judging the whole fight was when Matt Hume started doing commentary commentary. And I was like in pride, like 13 or 14. They, they broke that down. They said, number one criteria, Ipon trying to finish the fight. That is the most important thing. If you are trying to finish the fight, whether it's through effective striking or grappling or whatever, that's the most effective. And then number two was like effective striking. And they and they broke down. They just had nine criterias and yellow cards and, and fouls were a part of the of the scoring criteria. They broke everything down and told you exactly what was the most important, second important. And then having a judge on the commentating was great. He would tell you exactly like, well, if I was the judge because he went for Ipon here because, you know, he's controlling the grappling here, I would give him the round. And then he would say, like, you know, that's the round. We don't score by rounds. We're going to score the whole f- full fight. Like that was really they're doing a disservice. They're doing a disservice yeah. to the audience, I think. I think like if you act like this shit's got no rhyme or reason to it, it does a disservice. So when we all sit there like 
and wonder if it's a robbery and shit. It's like, no, man, like we got to follow you because we all like to talk about how pride was great because it was just about how like how like oh, you try to finish the fight. Right. Effective striking and grappling, the way it's defined is essentially like you had an immediate impact. All these things you like what had the biggest impact. It's effectively saying the same thing, Mark. It's like it's not just you took a guy down. You took him down and you when you were down there, you went for a submission. Or you went out there. I, these I are things that they really grappling is difficult to define. If well, it they is do. just like they have to get a catch mm. and hurt the guy, that's that's a bit because I mean, look at like you're striking. You can be effective in striking and land clean shots, and is that going to win you the round? But for effective grappling, if I get on top of you and get in mount, but don't hurt you enough, is that not effective grappling? Even though I got you on the ground completely controlled you and got you in an advantageous position where I had basically no harm on me, but you're in a very bad spot. Is that, you well, know, I mean, this is, is their definition by the criteria. That doesn't look like it. Right. If I, if someone takes you down, a uh, uh, Jake Shields takes you down, mounts you, gets back control, but doesn't get in a choke that was like seriously close to finishing the fight. Is that not effective? You know, that's where I think that criteria in particular, effective grappling is a little washy because maybe, Maybe these refs in, you know, not correctly, we're thinking, oh, TJ is getting back control here. He's getting standing clinches and that's effect. Well, uh -oh. through it. I, I don't know. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that's an excuse for them because it then explains what effective grappling means. Because it literally says successful execution of takedowns, submission attempts, reversals, and the achievement of advantageous positions that produce immediate or cumulative impact with the potential to contribute to the end of the match with the immediate weighing more heavily than the cumulative impact. Meaning whatever you're doing that's going to have an immediate impact towards the end of the match, it counts more than cumulative. Cumulative has value. Do they, do they break down striking in the same way? It says legal blows that have immediate, immediate or cumulative impact with the potential to contribute towards the end of the match with the immediate weighing more heavily than the cumulative impact. Okay. Meaning you're throwing some leg kicks, great. You fucking bomb on a dude. And he gets stunned. That's more. That's better. I think there's an. I basically, one. I mean, the audience not understanding it is one thing. The judges actually using this would be nice. Just saying, because we're like we're twenty, we're thirty years into this almost, right? When did this thing start? Ninety three. I mean, MMA in in general. No, no the uh, UFC. UFC. We're thirty years like in, right? Three years. Like, yeah. We're yeah. thirty years in. Come on. Just saying. I don't know. Here, I mean, here, here's a real, here's a question that I think we all know the answer to. How often do you think these judges read those rules that Bobby just read? They've never read the rules. Like, in, like I, I don't. How many times in a year? Do you I think don't. I don't think. I, I think it's very easy just to, to throw incompetence on these judges and just be like, well, they're just dumb and they didn't read the rules. It, it, no, it's this not. A, it's not about incompetence. It's something worse. It's negligence. In I don't this think. Case. I, I don't think it's neg. I mean, you know, I think it's just not caring. Is I'm, I'm going to come in. I mean, yes. I synonym for negligence. Fair enough, Stefan. Sorry, go ahead. I was coming from a different side of it. Is um, we can harp on MMA being particularly bad. Uh, I'm sorry. This is the fallacy of judging being the deciding outcome in anything. Judgment is a subjective metric, and it's the difference between ball sports that have like a tangible scoreline. Versus right. figure skating has bad decisions. We're in the Olympics right now. A lot of these sports will be decided by judge scores. There's tons of corruption. There's tons of countries using their internal biases against performers from other. It's it's the it's the fallacy 
of anything that relies on a judgment based competition. Like, yes, there is something to specific about MMA, but this is a pervasive problem of the system period across every avenue it comes up in, right? We've all watched an American Idol episode where someone made it that shouldn't that we like some other singer or performer more than that person who went on, but due to popularity contests, due to judges thinking about TV ratings, there's a lot of just subjective factors that get involved Absolutely. whenever judges get to make the call. And so it's one of those things is we can have all the criteria in the world, but as long as it comes down to a subjective opinion, there's always going to be like these inequitable things. But you know what's and, interesting? I also. Um... Marco, do you go to you in a second here? You would think when there's no crowd, that is one element that you're able to eliminate. Is like I remember when like Darren Till beat Wonderboy in uh, the UK, and I remember Liverpool in Liverpool in his hometown, and everybody's like, "Yeah, Wonderboy won three of those rounds. What are we doing?" But you know, the rev judges get ramped up into the crowd, uh, the crowd's fever. So I think I almost, I mean, everything you're saying is right. You would just almost hope like, let's get closer to what what we're going for. Steph, I think Mark how you do that because I, I I absolutely agree with Steph. Like. We can say the judges, you know, got it wrong, but we, we don't know their perspective. We don't know, yeah, if, if the crowd's affecting them. I think a way, a, a really important thing that they could do that I don't know why more combat sports don't do is let's just be transparent. Just show the judges scorecards. Why do we have to have a big reveal at the end and be shocked and, and hold our pearls at the end of the day? Like, oh, I can't believe this happened. If we knew going into that fifth round, TJ was already up, three rounds or whatever, or if it was dead even, then we kind of have a better understanding, or at least the fighters have an understanding of where they stand at any individual time. They did this in K1. It didn't fuck up the sport at all. Yeah. It gave clarity to like guys like, oh, you're down two rounds. It doesn't give. A, it doesn't matter what I, your coach, fucking say. It doesn't matter what your ego is telling you in your head right now. It is factual. You are down two rounds. You have to finish this fight to win. You're like That's not disputable. It's not the corner hyping a person up or, or being too hard on them. It's a factual thing. We could look at the screen and see, yo, it's 2018. You need to finish this fight to win this round or to beat the shit out of this guy and you'll draw. Like why, if it is going to be sub, you know, subject to a judge's decision, let's remove some of the transparency and just know where the judge is at or any given time. And, you know, like I've said, like any sport that is based off a judge and not just off of the metrics of, I mean, or you know what? Why don't we just get rid of judges and it's just strike count, <laughs> you know? Whoever gets the most strikes in wins that way. And then it'll be a much more boring sport. Better. It'll just be dudes well, doing yeah. little soft punches. Better, to, better, to... I, better idea. They fight until someone gets choked out or TKO'd. I mean, you're back, yeah, to, you, you, right you, back to the beginning, man. Yeah, no, you're going to some honestly, just... two-hour fights that are boring as snot. And then some dude's just like, I'm tired. I, I mean, everything, we're, everything that we're all saying is right. It's just we could do better. And it's just, I mean, some of it is just like, I wonder how much these people make. To be judges, you know what I mean? Like, how much did that person make to judge a closed door MMA event in the UFC Apex? You know, I don't know. If, I mean, I know people are gonna think this is a terrible idea to have the UFC have their own judges and fuck the Athletic Commission. But there's times where I wonder why we need the Athletic Commission, to be honest, because they're not helping. It's not like there's some like protector of the sport. When people were um, talking about Conor McGregor saying that like he had a hairline fracture, maybe. Or whatever going into the fight. And people are like, oh, that can't be true because the commission would have stopped him. Bullshit. You think that commission's going to stop a Conor McGregor fight from happening in the, st in the state of Nevada? I mean, come on, man. 
That's how they pay it's for their entire existence. Too. Yeah, they're going to the, payday as much as much for Connor and the UFC. You know, the commission is making a cut, so it's like they don't want to lose a big fight. So you know, if they they're going to suspend. They're just Gazoo, as corrupt yeah. as it would be if the yeah. UFC. I mean, because yeah, Bobby, like I, I I see your point. Like, oh, maybe if the UFC was controlling the judging, they could get people like let's get former fighters, let's get people that really know the sport that we know they know the sport because they've been on camera because they talk, they've analyzed the sport. We know who they are. They're not just some like name on a screen that we don't know what their background is or how much combat sports they've had if any um we actually know who they are but then you know at the same time it's like well now the people leading the sport are controlling it that's i mean not that's every other sport though we all watch nba games and we have the same level of lack of confidence in them and it's rigged anyway if everybody thinks it's rigged let's at least i don't know let's try harder is what i'm getting at <laughs> you know I mean, the NBA's rigged this shit. We all know this, right, guys? Come on up. I mean, we're talking about bad judging, but uh, you're now reminding me, Bob. Stuff I like uh, will be that uh, NBA referee Scott Foster has gone to 13-0 and against Chris Paul. Hell the yeah. By the way, Marcus, real quickly, let's give a shout-out because we were very dis- uh, dismissive of her abilities here. Mitch Rachel Osto- Miss Rachel Ostovich yes. learned how to strike a little bit, like looked fairly competent based on the highlights I saw. I mean, I know it's bare-knuckle boxing, but... We were all wondering why she there at all. She learned how to strike a little bit, and she won. Yeah, no, I got to You got to You got to put some respect on that. I um, got a big play to my words right here. Yum, 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 yum. Good job, Rachel. She looked. She looked really good. You know, I think in the bare knuckle boxing fight, which we didn't really talk about last week, it, I think it kind of sprung up on all of us. We knew this was happening for a while, but um, we didn't actually know it was this last Friday. I didn't really give Rachel much of a shot because in her MMA career, she was a wrestler, pure and pure. I mean. To wearing a fucking singlet all the time. Like, she was a wrestler. She did not have much of a striking acclimate. So to think she was going to come in there, you know, and Paige was not a super great striker herself, especially when it just came to the hands, but you just had to give her the edge in that. So I didn't think Rachel really had, I mean, I was questioning why her management thought this was a good idea to go in this direction, but, you know, it really showed that if you put some time in, you can make some, you know, pretty big leaps in your skill because she did a really good job of drawing Paige in. And when Paige would get into range because she had the reach, she had the height, she she ducked down and threw a great overhand right over and over again, found its home multiple times and ultimately won her the fight. Um, So, yeah, I got to give my hat off because I I thought she was going to get demolished in this fight. I thought she looked like a fish out of water. So one thing, not only does she look good, it's giving me some confidence that Tyrone Woodley might be able to turn because he's a decent striker at best. You know, a lot of his striking comes off of takedowns, but if he really focuses himself, he might become the next Rachel Osterich. So, pulling for you, Woodley. You, Man, can, pull, you, you can be the ne- next Rachel. That, I believe that, in you. That's the that's the fucking pull quote if we were a famous podcast. Tyrone Woodley can be the next Rachel Ostovich. Mike, you want yep. to chime in? <laughs> so, did any of you actually watch that fight? I did. Um, okay, so... Ostovich actually did look good with her hands. Yes. Yep. Yes. I'm telling now, you. Is it, right, is it that she was fighting Paige Van Zandt or did nope. she actually look good? Paige, Paige acquitted herself well for, for the, the skills that she has, which she's never been a power puncher, but she's been quasi technical. I mean, I think a lot of times when she hurt girls in the UFC, you know, remember the switch kick. Um, she's a decent grappler, but the hands were never her strong suit, but she did a good job. She tried establishing a jab. But that's what Rachel fought off of. When uh, Paige would come in for the jab, she would duck low and throw the overhand right counter. And it just it caught Paige multiple times um, and just enough of the rounds where she won. I mean, because, again, like these rounds for the women are two minutes. Yeah, that's got five two minute rounds. Like it's very there's a short amount of time. So when Rachel's landing big hits and Paige is 
throwing straight punches, trying to find the distance, you know, landing some, but she was always just kind of on the back end for most of the rounds. I think she might have got the first round. Um, yeah, no, Rachel legitimately looked good. It was 4-1, um, right? I, I believe so. I think Paige won the first, and yeah. then Rachel kind of yeah, took the right. rest of the rounds. Um, but at, what, at the end of the day, too, because I think a lot of heat's going to come on Paige Van Zant because, you know, she was obviously a big pickup for the organization. She was very excited about it. Now she's 0-2. But, like, this fight, in my eyes, didn't, you know, I didn't think, like, oh, she's washed up. She has nothing left. You know, she's a shell of her former self. It's like, well, this was a girl that never really had a lot of punching power. But it's not like she got smoked. It's not like she went in there and wasn't trying. Like, she put herself out there and just as surprised. I'm sure she's more surprised than I was. She probably thought, like, oh, Rachel, when we first fought, only tried to take me down. She's not going to be able to handle striking with me. And I think the world, you know, got a little bit of a wake-up wake up call. I know I did Man, about it does, what it Rachel's doesn't matter. to do. It doesn't matter if she lost that fight. Who cares? Yeah, honestly, I, I, I mean, like, she's still I mean, marketable at the this end of the is, day. But yeah, um, you mentioned Tyron Woodley, and I'm bringing Mike into this because Mike's here for the trash. Mike, are you in the loop on what happened with Tyron Woodley and Hector Lombard at the cage side of this thing? Did you get? Did you see uh, that? Yes, I I know some of the skinny when it comes to that. Uh, Hector Would you like Lombard, to? Do you want you want to talk about it? You're gonna give the breakdown to the folks, or you want yeah, to just yeah, give yeah. it? Okay, um, go and ahead. <laughs> if if I'm missing anything, uh, feel free to to jump in. Mm -hmm. uh, so Hector Lombard got into Tyron Willie's face at the bare knuckle fighting event. Um, what was the subject matter about? Why was Hector Lombard all in Tyron Willie's face? Uh, apparently because of some side piece. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing that makes all men crazy are women. And in this case, the, there's no exception with these two gigantic men. Yeah, basically, uh, Lombard says that he had a side, a side check and that Woodley was talking to his side check. This is years ago. And that he says, he says first, I shouldn't have had one. I apologize, but I had a side check. And then he calls Woodley a piece of shit for having a side check for going after his side check. Woodley's reaction to the entire exchange, you can see this online, is great because Woodley's just looking at him like, what the, you are not worth my time, Hector Lombard. <laughs> like, he was just looking at him like, what, what is this? Like, you, you got to get the impression where Hector Lombard's terrible reputation in his gym comes from about, uh, you know, there's, go ahead. there's also the, the funny hypocrisy of Hector Lombard thinking there's no honor in Tyrone Woodley for you know smashing my item of infidelity well i don't even know if he said he smashed her as much as like he's like woodley was talking to her telling her oh he's back with his family it's like yeah you were you were back with your family <laughs> like, side, you <laughs> side piece that means that is the side you have you know and your main thing is the family. Hence you making want, it a side piece and not a girlfriend. You know, it's fun. If you want to look up uh, some of Hector Lombard uh, being a gym bully, look up stories like that. And then you look up what happened when Josh Barnett decided to make Hector Lombard uh, eat his words for being a, a gym bully. Where Hector Lombard, or uh, Josh Barnett, I believe, just got on top of him and mount and wouldn't let Hector get up for 45 minutes. And just <laughs> held him there to make a point. With some big brother shit I think right it was there. something absurd like that where Josh Barnett's like, yeah, I'm 265 pounds. You could eat shit. <laughs> I'm going to get on top of you. <laughs> um, some other news we had this week. Um, seems like we got ourselves a title fight getting booked for Madison Square Garden at UFC 268, um, which is going to be um, Kamara Usman taking on Colby Covington. I'm assuming the Madison Square Garden, but it's happening in November, um, which tends to be when they go to MSG, right, Mike? 
I'm not waving my head no as to that question. I'm waving my head no as to, yeah, I'm not buying tickets for that. You wouldn't go, period, on principle, or it's just cost, you're thinking? Uh, Well, on principle cost, because I'm pretty cheap, but also on principle love, I don't want to spend money to, to go watch Kobe Covington fight. Not because Kobe Covington isn't a good fighter. I just don't like Kobe Covington. Yeah, but Kobe Covington's not getting a percentage of the gig. They're going to pay him $150,000 flat. He's going to act like he's paying, being paid millions. Um, I don't know if they're going to sell shit with this fight. I mean, they will sell something. they got to put another title fight or two on there, right, Steph? I mean, it's pay-per-view. you got to see what's available. I believe this is what you call the Amanda Nunes special. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you feed her somebody that you really don't give a credible betting chance to, uh, but she's not big uh, time enough to get that top billing spot. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's that's who I expect to see put on this co-main. I think they got to do what they did with, like, where they put Wonder Boy uh, on the Connor fight. They got to put Wonder Boy on the Covington card. <laughs> we got to offset some of this shit, man. Um, did we lose Mike? I mean, they, you know, if they wanted to just pay the man, uh, going to New York would be a great time to uh, book uh, John Jones. But, you know, we're just going to keep letting that guy hang on the shelf. Yeah, uh, we're just, you know. For money reasons. Yeah, I mean, why? Why would we give the people what they want? You got to give the people what you want. And we have not done that, I feel, in the UFC at times here. Um, I'm not sure what other, I'm not sure you guys saw any other news um, this past week. Because I don't think so. I'm trying to rack my brain if anything tickled my fancy over the last week in the MMA world. And I, I think the Covington fight was kind of even like today. It kind of broke. Yeah, we got um, uh, some, I'm looking at some fight news getting booked. Uh, let's see. Duho Choi is hurt. Well, that's just bad news. That's not got a fight getting booked. Who? Duho Choi got hurt. Who? Who's gonna? Duho. There we go. There you go. Duho. Um. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of inconsequential fights, except Randa Marcos is going to fight uh, in October. Not getting. Yo, cut. she's still at the UFC. Six and ten in the UFC. Six, ten, and one. Look, Sam Alvey's still fighting. Sam Alvey's got Yo. six straight, uh, six fight unbeaten. Uh, on Yo. opposite of unbeaten. We thought <laughs> six fight Lobov. no wins. We thought Artem Lobov hung around in the UFC like like stank on on underwear, but Random Marcos, that's the one. I mean, Stefan, you got to defend Random Marcos here. Come on now. She's one of our people. She's one of our girls. I mean, I like Random Marcos. She's your redheaded brother. The real go-to of the one who we can't believe is still around is our guy, the pride of uh, Orem, Utah, you know, uh, Say his name three times, Bobby. You can summon him to your own uh, house right That's now. That's true. Court McGee. Court McGee, by the way, that last fight of his, though, did look better than he had looked in like six years. <laughs> he actually puts, has some oomph behind those strikes. Um, all right. Um, let's talk about Bellator first because, quite frankly, this is the biggest fight they can put on, period. 100% serious when I say this. So what we have this weekend, and I'm seeing if I can pull up the actual full tournament. We got the finals of the Bellator featherweight grand prix where we have patricio pitbull the good one taken on aj mckee um which is antonio mckee jr um son of uh the indie mma legend quite frankly who fucking went off like 28 and 2 at one point was antonio mckee senior son fighting in a very different way um scott coker likes to play a little dangerous with his tournaments i feel sometimes where he just hopes these two guys will end up at the end against each other. Um, it finally paid off here. Because this was the fight we were all looking at for the second this thing got booked. 
Um, these are two completely homegrown MMA uh, Bellator fighters. Patricio Pitbull, does he still got two belts? Did anybody beat him for one of those belts yet or not? Does he got both the belts, I think? Honestly, don't know. I don't know if they stripped him. I mean, no one defends their title soon enough in Bellator for it to matter. Um, he's defending that title against AJ McKee. AJ is undefeated. I think Mark and I saw him fight at least once, I want to say, live. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure, if not more. Yeah, it looks like he's got a couple fights in San Jose. Um, but, uh, yeah, we think we saw him a couple times. 17-0, six knockouts, six submissions, five decisions. That's a well-rounded fighter. And his last win, putting away Darian Caldwell, former Bellator champion, in less than 90 seconds. Fucking impressive. Um, neck cranked him 71 seconds into the fight. Patricio has not seen a loss in quite some time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's 32 Benson and four was his last one. That Benson, was that the one where... He got injured. Yeah, that was, he was, he was beating Benson's ass in the first round, mm -hmm. and then in the second he got okay, hurt. Okay, I, I gotta clarify. Are you talking about who you want to talk about? Because on this card is Patricky. You just said Patricio. Uh, and uh, as as someone who gets them mixed up, the I want to make one. sure talking, you know which, which, which one you're is the good No, one. Patricio's on this card. But this Patricio. Patricio is the one fighting McKee. No, Patricio is fighting McKee. That's no, Patricio. Yeah. Patricio's the according other one. to the betting line. It's the good brother. It's the MMA, good one. MMA Junkie has it as Patricio. Yeah, so does, so does McKee. It's, it's Patricio. I'm 100% sure. The betting lines have Patricio. So the betting lines then do not that's know. Just dis that's just disrespectful. Uh, well, Stefan, I'm not worried about the betting line. God. Why does Best Fight Odds have so many Olympic betting lines? Um, betting odds for this one, Stefan, I'm imagining. I'm we thinking Pitbull's going, a favorite. Uh, and, and for betting odds, we are going with the respectable DraftKings, who are also an online outlet and use real lines, unlike that bullshit over at FanDuel. Um, <laughs> so there will be no FanDuel sponsorship coming to this podcast with their bullshit lines. Uh, but DraftKings, the respectable outlet, have uh, the Pitbull brother at the slight favorite of minus 125 to McKee's plus 105. So it's a really close line. I'm legitimately wondering <laughs> if, if, I mean, there's no way. It's an aggregator. There's no way all these websites have it wrong. Best Fight Odds is just an aggregator. So, um, yeah, okay. I am so torn on this one, Mark. I think you and me have probably seen the most of these two guys fighting out of the four yeah. of us here. No defense to Mark, to Steph and Mike. I know Mike's... <laughs> I told Mike an hour ago, look up who Patricio, uh, look up who AJ Mickey is because we're going to have to talk about him and make a fight. Oh, yeah, Bob, when I make my pick, it will not be due to actual fighting reasons. I honestly, Mark, I don't think I've seen any sort of slowdown from Patricio at all. Um, he's, I feel right now, this is very much his prime. So when he gets to the UFC in five years, we're all going to be like, oh, well, we missed him back in, in 2021 when he was the man. Mm -hmm. Um, AJ's way bigger than him, though. Like, AJ's significantly taller than him. He's five foot ten featherweight. Patricio is five foot five and a half. That being said, I don't think this is where he goes down. I think it's going to be a really good fight, but I'm going to go with the pit bull here. What do you got, Mark? Well, I might be taking... Me and Steph might have a similar thought process here because it's not so much about analyzing their skills and thinking where the other guy's going to be strong at. It's all about you, Bobby, mm. and your overconfidence. In Patricio. Oh, I have no confidence You're here. So, you've been so cocksure about this guy for the last like three months, ever That's since uh, Chandler 
uh, got picked up. You're like, like, well, then there's one other guy in Bellator that is the cat's meow. And yeah. so I'm baking all of this just on your confidence of Pitbull. I'm picking AJ. Yeah, I got a it. A lot of times when you get hot, you get hot on a guy. And it's the wrong you gotta time. You got to cool down a little bit. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I, jokes aside, this fight's super close. Um, yeah. I, I think you can – I agree with you. Like, Pitbull has been on a run. It seems like he might be completely hitting his stride. AJ, on the other hand, has been this prospect that has not disappointed, has constantly got better. And you look at his last fight, he won with like a full Nelson that no one's ever done. He pulled off a submission against a top-rate guy who I think – um. Who did he get it on? Uh, was it Campos? Uh, Darren Caldwell. Caldwell who was the Mikia, a former the Mikia champion. Team, they're calling it. Yeah. The Mikia and, team. I mean, you know, this was a really credible guy. So I think it really is a toss-up. I'm going with AJ, you know, for giggles because you're so you're so on the other side. It's just like maybe I'm weighing it Boy, down. I'm not that, it's not that I'm not that – not that I'm – I just think Patricio is excellent. I mean, if AJ beats him, it's not going to be a look at Patricio. And you're not wrong. I mean, really, the line's as close as, as it is, whether it's the right people yeah. or not is questionable. But, like, this is a really competitive fight. I, want I think Peter, it's super I close. I want Peter Yan versus Patricio Pitbull before it's too late, quite frankly. I think that striking matchup would be really fun. Um – Stefan, when you make your pick, if you can answer, do you think who do you think is better for do you think is better for Bellator for who to win? Or if it matters at all, in your opinion, I guess. Um I would say McKee for new blood's sake. Mm-hmm. He's an American, right? He's young and upcoming. Like you said, homegrown. The pit bulls, they suffer a little bit from the issue we just had. I don't know which one's which. It's the uh Jimmy and Jay Uso arc of uh smackdown which uso are you uh that's which pitbull are you to me you know um and they've been around forever right I, you you kind of grow numb to them at a certain point um i am picking uh mckee and this is why and i'm gonna be trying to be careful in how i say it i don't know anything about the pitbulls as people so i'm specifically talking to their personas as fighters i do not respect the pitbulls fighter persona whatsoever you know what they're the kings of they're the kings of calling out guys who fight in the UFC. They're the kings of calling for cross-promotion fights that will never occur. And every time they're a free agent and they have a chance to go over to the other side and finally fight the guys they've been calling out for months and years, they re-sign with Bellator. I do not respect their fighter personas. Like, it is, it's the most, like, I'm going to talk shit to you as I'm driving away, going the other down way down the street. Like... I went you, to college with a lot of guys who talk shit while walking away from you, and that's who the pit bulls are to me. Do you know what I liked always? This remind, I mean, I like when like the secondary MMA promotion, MMA fighters would like like from the guys from the secondary promotion calls out the UFC fighters. But every now and then you get like those same guys get called out by the tertiary like promotion. Like I remember like when like Scott Coker was trying to get Gilbert somehow to fight in the UFC champion when he was Gilbert was a champion, and then Eddie Alvarez called out Gilbert Melendez, and Scott Coker's like. Well, we know there's contracts. We don't know if we want to do that. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're not going the other way here. <laughs> um, Mike, um, I thought Stephon was going to say that he thinks the pit bulls are assholes because they kind of are. <laughs> but Mike, okay, see, you I don't this? know much about them and people, but if they're regular assholes too, then yeah, I'm, I'm not really on board with the whole package. <laughs> Mike, what do you got? Uh... Bobby, you're going to be alone on this island. I'm okay with Not that. because I don't think uh, Pitbull's a really good fighter. Um, but it's just more... I still don't know exactly know which of the which of the Pitbulls this is. 
This is um, the good one. You define there's a good one and the less good one. And with the Usos, there's the ones with there's the one with three DUIs and the one with one DUI. That's how you differentiate <laughs> them. That's like that's like four DUIs too many. It's that's a whole situation there. <laughs> you gotta feel for the one brother who only got one. He's like, I made a mistake one time. This other motherfucker is getting one every Tuesday. Um, so you uh, got uh, seen that meme. It's like a comic panel. I don't know what the original comic is, but I like it where it's like, if I had a nickel for every time this happened, it's like, well, I'd only have two nickels, but it's still pretty odd that it happened twice. Uh, that's, <laughs> so, that's the three to one for um, the underdog, bear, slight underdog. Slight. getting himself new champion. Very slight. With that said, uh, speaking of other MMA trends, Mark citing the Bobby Heat check. Um, there's also the uh, reverse, uh, what do I call it, the hubris heat check, where everyone uh, goes for the underdog and only one person picks the favorite. Um, and then it's like, well, why did we let that happen? Why did we just give the favorite away? Um, that is also a trend. Do you know what? I, I always cite Justin Gaethje showing up and winning those fights because it's the only time I like got on board with the motherfucker and it kept going well. <laughs> it's true. My, uh, my logic is not flawless. There has um, been a couple Bobby wins. Mm, okay, the UFC's got a card real thin. Um, honestly, this Bellator one's not is not great either, but at least I recognize a few other names on it. But UFC's putting on. Uh, I know I was critical of this fight. Um, Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland. I was critical because I thought, quite frankly, it was time to give Uriah Hall a, someone higher up in the rankings. Um, in this fight, we got Uriah Hall coming in ranked at number eight. We got Sean Strickland ranked number 11. Again, seemed like a good time to give Uriah Hall somebody ranked above him. But um, the betting odds for this one, Stefan. Uh, yeah, a little surprising because, you know, um, I know the name, I know the face, but I don't like have super lasting memories of his record. But uh, Sean Strickland is coming in at a pretty sizable favorite at minus 220 to Uriah Hall's plus 180. Yeah, um, I think that last win, I mean, people must think very highly of, of Jotko. Because he handled Jotko pretty easily in his last fight. Uh, Uriah Hall, again, coming off of beating a man without throwing a strike. It's hard to dismiss that. Um, Mike, your, the plum pick, plum pick came from you picking Uriah Hall to beat Gegard Musasi, where nobody picked that fight. Then he hit him with a spinning kick to the dome and won. What do you got here, buddy? Hey, do you still have that video I sent you that night of me just yelling plums? I mean, that might have been a few phones. Like, we got to scroll up to the It's <laughs> Amazing group chat for a while, I think, for that one. <laughs> um, I'm picking Uriah Hall on this one. Um, I am kind of sad that he's fighting um, some like Sean Strickland. Not because Sean Strickland isn't a good fighter, but just that I, I agree with what you guys said, that um, it would have been nice to see him fighting someone higher ranked. Uriah Hall isn't getting any younger. I think he's maybe about... 38 at this point now maybe 37 36 um, 30, wow he's still only 36 he turns he, turn, he, turn, he turns 37 in five days so you're you're right there okay all right um yeah i've got Uriah hall in this one um i think that with his striking he should be able to i think put away sean strickland sometime in the uh, second or third round and also, he's a New York City guy, just like me. I can't vote. I can't vote against him. I feel you've v many times picked against him. Um, I let's, let's, look, let's not let's not focus on the past, Bob. Uh, Dana White doesn't like him. 
it's kind of a known thing. Dana White is not a fan of Uriah Hall. I don't know why. I think he feels burned, maybe, but he didn't live up immediately to what Dana White said, that you're the next Anderson Silva. I remember he was critical of him knocking out Anderson in, like, the fourth or fifth round, saying he should have done it way sooner, and the guy can't do anything right, and I think that's why he got this fight. I think, um, quite frankly, he deserves a bigger fight than this, just name-wise. Sean Strickland's a good fighter, and he's a favorite for a reason here, obviously, but this seems like they're trying to kind of put a halt to the Hall momentum, whatever it is of it. Um, I'm 100% picking Uriah Hall because I want him to win. Not to say anything bad about Sean Strickland, but I would like the, I want Uriah Hall to get up. I want him to get, to be one win away from a title shot. Cause that's what this is. You win five straight fights at middle, a middleweight mark. It's hard to deny you from a real top tier fight at that point. I don't care who you beat. Sure. Five straight wins in a very difficult weight class. I want him to win. I want him to go up after this and fight. I'm looking at the top here. Um, who can he fight and knock it ground? Who did not get laid on top of? What's uh, Derek Brunson will do it. Marvin Vittori might do it too. <laughs> he already got beat by Paulo Costa. Jared Cannonier might do it too. All right, there's a lot of danger above him. But um, I want him to fight one of these dudes above him and get a title shot. Not that he has a chance against, you know, Izzy or Whitaker. But I want I want him to. I don't know. I like your eye, Hall, man. He seems to have a pretty good head on his head shoulder when he, he seems like a pretty grounded dude about this all. So I got your eye, Hall. Mark, what do you got? Yeah, uh, I mean, we are kind of all getting behind one guy. and Who's a 2-1 underdog. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, clean up. <laughs> regardless of the line, like, I, it for me, it's a lot of what Stefan said. Like, I know I've seen Sean Strickland fight. I had to have. I've watched so much UFC. At some point, this guy must I mean, have crossed. You know what's amazing, Mark, about him? Because the, the same sentiment. Um, and as I look at his record, you know, this guy's been in the UFC since 2014. And I can only vaguely recollect him, but this motherfucker has been lingering around for seven years. Yeah. Um. So I mean, that being said, like I don't like picking against guys just because I'm not familiar with them. You know, it's just kind of not doing our due diligence. You know, not that like we're some high-paying MMA podcast where we have like hours to go into the room and like look up back tape or whatever. But what's making me feel a little confident? You know, I'm doing my MMA math here. I'm getting my Atticus out or whatever. He lost Strickland's last fight. You know how he lost? spinning wheel kick and punches that seems to be a raya hall specialty so i'm giving him the spinning heel kick advantage in this one um other than that you know it seems like it's a fairly close fight um and if we're giving strickland a lot of like kudos because he beat joko like so did Raya hall like two years ago he beat I mean, him honestly like oh. i'm looking at it, he's got a lot of wins by knockout he seems more of a stand-up stand-up fighter yeah it's hard to discount your hall's chances in a pure stand-up fight honestly just the way he yeah the way he so is I, I'm going with Hall too, but yeah, there's not like a lot of analysis here. There's not a lot of credibility. You know, I'm very nervous. Bobby mentioned before we started, like, Uriah Hall's never won this many fights in a row before. Nope. Kind of seems like the glasses is ready to tumble, uh, you know, in the wrong way here. But, you know, I, I got him winning this one. Why not? Does anybody even know where the hell Uriah Hall trains at this point? Yeah, Tiger, Tiger Karate, right? Is he still a Tiger Shulman? Oh, no, he's right, a, what's he's a. He's at a uh, he's at Fortis MMA. He's at the no Dallas way. one. Um, Stefan, you gonna just pick the favorite here and just clean up at the end of this weekend? Ooh, that'd be smart. Mm. You know, I was all ready to make this little speech about you know. There's a reason I'm in last place because I do stupid things like picking both the underdogs. Um, 
But apparently all of you want to get on this train with me. Bunch of dum-dums coming to station. I, I feel like we're, we're all just suffering from a mild case of the summertime sillies because uh, none of, we're all picking for really superfluous <laughs> reasons. Um, and mine is such. You said he doesn't have a shot against Izzy, but here's the thing. Uriah Hall, again, I cannot stress this enough, won a fight with zero strikes thrown, zero takedowns attempted, zero everything. That has earned him my pick forever. He gets that title shot, I'm picking him over Izzy. He <laughs> fights the greatest fighter in the world, uh, Jan... Uh, uh, what's it? Blachowicz. No, it's Blachowicz, Blachowicz now. Blachowicz? Blachowicz? I was trying yeah. to remember the proper... We're changing names five years into these fuckers' careers. I don't like this. <laughs> okay, it's, It really is, Bobby. Hey, now that I'm famous, could you bother learning how, how my name goes? Can it's a, you actually, it's, it's a real. I, you know who I am. Can you actually just try to say it right? That's what it really is. It's a real Akeem Hakeem situation where, like, you're like, look, I don't want to upset the apple cart too much. Okay, Elijah one was weird because the the H just appeared one day. Yes. It was Akeem, and all of a sudden we ch- we didn't change the pronunciation. We changed the spelling of his name, and that's where I'm like, what happened? We just went with a typo for the first seven. Do you years. know what? Do you know what bet happened? He said like, well, they're like, what's your name, son? He's like Hakeem. They're like. All right, we saw coming to American uh, uh, America, Akeem. Okay, yeah, he's Akeem. We move on. That's what happened with that dude. But uh, yeah, we're we're all on the we we. A lot of us liked the close underdog. A lot of us seem to like the big underdog. So uh, that's the theme of this week's picks. <laughs> They're both good. By the way, where are we in the standings, Mike? Well, what happened? Where are we at now? You're muted. You're muted. One second. Uh, so, um, it was a good week for ya boy with the, uh, with the one and oh last week. One? Yeah, I was yep. going to say we picked one fight and I was on the wrong end of it. <laughs> uh, so I have retaken first place with 45 and 24. Bobby's at 44 and 25. DJ Mark is at 42 and 27. And, and with an equally as successful week as Mike. That's right. Picking up an extra win in the <laughs> win column. One. Kid P is at 39 and 30. Yo, Stefan's really creeping up. He's creep, he is He's, creeping you're up. You're creeping man. up, bro. <laughs> Not too long ago, Stefan was 500? under 500. Yeah, under 500. I was yeah. what was called uh, in Kevin Randleman territory, where you just really want to see, can I hit 500? Are we going to hit it? Are we gonna... We're at random Marcos territory now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> We're at random Marcos territory now. All right, boys and girls, Um, I don't see any other, I mean, unless somebody did something in this last in the last hour. No, which, we can move on. <laughs> we can move on. Let's do stuff we like. Um, I got um one um well i got two that i've been watching but i think i believe one of us has talked about ted lasso before uh, stefan probably i'm assuming because i think he's the only one who watches it stefan's talked about the lasso if you Love have a playstation if you have the playstation I, I, 5 I gotta, I gotta reiterate not only do i like ted lasso i absolutely hate the lead actor i had never liked him in anything so for me to like ted lasso as much as i do it really is a credit to the character and the writing and just kind of the overall production of the show yeah, uh, Jason Sudeikis. Um, yeah, um, if you are one of the lucky people that have a PlayStation 5, you can get six months of Apple TV Plus for free. Um, just don't know if Steph's going to do that now that season two of Ted Lasso is going. But uh, yeah, I started watching Ted Lasso last night. I watched three episodes. I really like it. It's really well done. Um, it has the vibe, not just because it's set in the UK. It does have a vibe, the vibe of an English comedy, though, I feel. If you've ever seen like something... 
like uh, the original the English Office or um, like In Betweeners and stuff like that. It does remind me of that a little bit, but it's just really well done. Every part of it I enjoy so well. Um, yeah. The other thing I watched, I watched all of this new Netflix uh, series. I'm not sure when it got there called um, How to Be a Tyrant. Has anybody else seen this? Negative. I think Mike would be. I think Mike would check it out. Seems like Mike would watch also. Um, basically, it's kind of it's voiced. It's a doc mini. It's a it's a docu series, and is based on um, a book called The Dictator's Handbook. Oh I, yeah, you know, I actually I, I ran through that series on Netflix. It's it's really good. Yeah, it's voiced by Peter Dinklage, and it's kind of telling you. And Peter Dinklage it was uh, Tyrion on uh, Game of Thrones. Um, among other credits, um, this basically is like, it's, it's telling you the story of a bunch of dictators, um, and it's doing it through the story of how you want to become a tyrant. So the episode titles are like, seize power, crush your rivals, reign through terror, control the truth, create a new society, and then rule forever. And each of those episodes kind of focuses on one guy, like the, the Hitler, uh, Saddam Hussein, Idi Amin, uh, Stalin, uh, Gaddafi, and, uh, Kim Il-sung. And I learned a lot. Um, I'm a big nerd for a lot of this stuff, but I learned a lot. I didn't know as much about Idi Amin, quite frankly. I learned a lot about him. Um, learned stuff about um, Gaddafi. Um, I knew a little bit more about S- uh, Saddam Hussein uh, being Middle Eastern and all and, you know, going to two wars with the guy. You read some stuff on it. I just think it's really well done. There's a lot of animation to tell you stories about what's happened. And they got some old arch- archival footage and stuff. And it's just very clever the way they – I like when they try to cleverly teach people history. I, you know, I think it's just a really good, um, really good series that uh, Netflix put. I think it's a Netflix original. And um, Peter Dinklage is the perfect voice for this, quite frankly. Just really, the mic saw it too. So, yeah, you liked it too? Yeah, no, I really did enjoy it. Uh, weirdly enough, I didn't even realize that Peter Dinklage was the voice until about episode three or four. All right on. Um, yeah, definitely check that out. Everybody has, an, I mean, if you look at the numbers, everybody's got some access to a Netflix account. So check that out. And then real quickly, the wrestling minute, um, the goddamn internet exploded over the course of two days, the in wrestling internet, um, because apparently it's the 1990s all over again. And we got some outsiders showing up we're going to, you know, we got, we got, uh, Brian Danielson. I got to get used to calling him that again, apparently. Brian Danielson, former Dan, former Daniel Bryan, and uh, the O and one and parentheses one MMA standout, Phil Brooks, aka CM Punk. Apparently, both of them are about to show up uh, in all elite wrestling, and uh, yeah, people got excited, so it was cool. I, I like seeing people. It seems like with wrestling, people get more excited about the movements of people than the actual product on the screen. Um, and it kind of reminded me of when we were kids and like, oh shit, Hall and Nash are on Nitro, you know, Diesel and Razor are there. Oh shit. Jericho showed up on, on, on WWE or, you know, oh, Benoit and, you know, Saturn and Malenko and Guerrero. Oh, no one talks about Saturn anymore ever. Um, all those guys, whatever guy would show up. Oh, Mike Awesome has shown up. It kind of like, and you know, it's happened so far with like people from WWE show up in AEW and stuff, but nobody, I mean, the only comparable one to these two gentlemen, quite frankly, is, uh, when Moxley showed up. And Stefan and I were in the arena for that, where people lost their fucking minds. Like, oh my God, John Moxley's here. Um, if this is really true for those two guys showing up, 
it's just gonna be fun for the fans. So and you know, if they're able to draw some money out of it, maybe get some more money for this promotion and hey, everybody gets paid a little bit more, healthier for the wrestling business. Because apparently that shit was dying a slow death when we stopped watching. So only thing uh I'm kind of happy about or in terms of anticipating is CM Punk's return. Um uh, you know, uh CM Punk is most famous for again his pipe bomb promo because of not just the content of what he said, but it's what that moment did. And what it did was pull in old wrestling fans that had grown tired of the product and had moved on to other pastures. And that was me. You know, we, we loved wrestling when we were kids and growing up. And then at a certain point, we kind of just outgrew it, right? We kind of just weren't into the ruthless aggression era. Our guys had retired or aged out. And, you know, we weren't really there for the prime, prime years of John Cena and that crop of wrestlers. But um, CM Punk brought me in. Um, I've made it no qualms. I know a lot of people love AEW. I really don't like their production. Um, the way the show looks and sounds, it just still feels very amateur to me. But the one thing I'm hopeful of, Tony Khan seems to be very generous with licensing music. Yep. So I believe that CM Punk will, <laughs> like, live in colors, like, yeah, you also want rights to air our song? Yeah, here you go. Give us that check. You know, we haven't cut a new album well, in dude, a couple decades. Well, they followed so, AEW. They followed AEW. They? Everybody's like, oh, shit, it's real. Everybody went, oh, so, shit, it's real. <laughs> although I did see, uh, and this is what I like, is uh, CM Punk, uh, he followed AEW, everyone said. But then other people also astutely noted he unblocked WWE and started following them. And everyone's like, oh, CM Punk is following Tony Khan. <laughs> and then, so what did CM Punk did? He also followed Vince McMahon. And I'm like, CM Punk is having fun right CM now. CM Punk is such a master troll. Honestly, it's also, this fun. This just just fun. And I know I, I, a criticism you've had, I think is actually pretty fair, is that are they going after too many of these guys because they have such a good roster already, AEW? AEW's got an excellent roster. And I totally agree with you with that at times. But I think it's like you can't really pass up on guys like this if you have an opportunity. These ones, yeah. There are certain yeah. ones that, like, if, if you think every mid-car guy who was underused at WWE can go become a star, that's obviously false. Mm. But there are certain guys that will move the needle in terms of credibility, right? You yeah. guys, you know, a lot of them have played nice and said this isn't really a war. You know, everyone's doing their own thing. But bringing in Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, that's shots fired. I um I was watching some old. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't a uh, Ring of Honor guy ever. So I was looking at Dan, uh, Brian Danielson matches a couple of them this weekend, and he used to come out to uh, Final Con Countdown by Europe. That was his entrance music. So now I'm sitting here like, that's a badass entrance for me song. I, w I want him to come out to that. Because the, the song they were using, it was just a version of, um, was it a Flight of the Valkyrie, it's called, the song? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, you can get that somewhere if you want, but I think, uh, you get, you get, you pay Europe to get Final Countdown. That'd be badass. I like, I like that he buys songs. That's cool to me. Even like, I'm not big on Moxley using Wild Thing, cause I don't really care that much for that song. I understand that he does it because it's some sort of death match nod to some guy named Onita. And like Jungle Boy coming out the Tarzan Boy is fucking great. Perfect. Like that's perfect. And I do like yeah, the Pixie song. Yeah, but then if you, hear, if you hear him talk about it, you remember how fucking young he is. Like yeah. I had no idea what the song was. I'd never heard of it. I never heard of this band. I never heard the song before. <laughs> but so and so said I should. So I'm like, okay. If, yeah, like, I, it's like if you go back, if you go back and you watch the AW Dark. When he first comes out to that song, Taz and Excalibur lose their fucking minds. Yeah. Well, because Taz is 45 years old. Taz is like, I Taz is like, I love this song. And he starts singing it with this horrible accent. <laughs> um, yeah, I um 
And just uh, one other thing, because um, I was watching SmackDown, I think that Pat McAfee joining SmackDown as a commentator is one of the best decisions they've made in a very long time. He does a really good job. And um, I didn't even mention the fact that John Cena's back, did I? Or was that last week? Whatever, John Cena's back. Big shot, big time news, guys. John Cena's back, CM Punk's back, Daniel Bryan went the promotion. It's 2010 all over again, guys. It's it's a great time for wrestling. You didn't even mention the fact that uh, Nikki Ash, formerly Nikki Cross, uh, cashed in her money in the bank just a day after obtaining it last week and beat Charlotte Flair to become uh, the Raw Women's Champion. Um, look, people man, seem very happy for her. That, people, I, I you saw the reaction for her. Yeah. It seemed like her contemporaries really think a lot of her. And uh, I did. I do think that they changed her name though because Karrion Cross. There's another cross coming, personally. That's what I think. But I, I, this is what the type of shit that makes wrestling fun, quite frankly, for fans, is people jumping around and, you know, it's, it, people just like to say this, but it's really true. If, you know, it's competition makes them all better. So if, if you guys have a moment, look up the clip of, um, Paul Heyman making fun of, uh, John Cena's entrance music. It's classic. Oh, that was incredible. Seth, did you see that? <laughs> He, uh, I saw. I didn't see the live clip, but I I stumbled upon some random YouTube clip where someone just dubbed it over John Cena's actual entrance. Yeah, he just um, he just <laughs> sings his song. <laughs> By the way, I know the man wears jorts and like a t-shirt and stuff. John, at this point, I'm like, oh man, John's starting to look like he's in his forties. Not that it's like he's got to look. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I, but I saw his uh, promo on Roman, and he called it out. He said it's jorts versus cargo pants. Who you got? <laughs> uh, God, they're gonna have Roman kill him, and then they're gonna have Roman kill. Uh, I guess The Rock's gonna be back in November for the 25th anniversary of his debut. That's uh, that's pretty cool. I think that might be a mad. That's where you should go to, Mike. If it's in Madison Square Garden, that's the one to go to. The Rock making his return. Or buying the ticket and flipping it. That's what you should do. Um, all right. Yeah, I talked a lot about stuff for stuff we like this week. So um, let's go to Stefan because we really we got to talk about his uh, stuff he likes this week. Uh, yeah, a couple quick hits. Um, I checked out two new anime in the rom-com series. I don't really hard recommend either one of them. Um, one of them I like a little bit more. It's a little bit more grounded. Um, it's called uh, Remaking a Life. It's a really simple concept of a dude he could have gone to art school but he kind of just got a traditional like salary man job um he he you know he he keeps this acceptance letter um he he oh no he's his not salary man job he's uh making uh uh arrow manga hentai video games uh like so he he's writing dirty scripts and uh dirty code for uh, adult games, but uh, you know he looks up to these contemporaries who are making other games. Uh, but then one day he wakes up, and it's that fateful day when he decided whether he was going to or not going to go to that uh, art college. Um, so of course he decides he's going to do it to see how his life goes. Um, hijinks ensue because he ends up being roommates in a shared house with like these other people uh, who he kind of looks up to in the gaming and kind of creative community. Um, but what I think is really cool from the only, like I've only seen like two or three episodes so far. Um, is anybody who's ever had a creative background, uh, for an anime, you know, anime can touch on a lot of kind of topics you don't think of, but they go into like the creative process of like shooting a commercial, the creative process of photography, uh, the creative process of choreographing if you're a dancer. And I feel like, you know, okay. So they, they, you know, it's like, uh, 
the Shokugeki uh, no Soma, like, they, they consulted real chefs, right? They didn't just make up food culinary techniques. They actually consulted real things. And I, I kind of get the sense that they consulted the backgrounds of people in real creative mediums. So um, someone who's had a creative side in the past um, and was never talented to pursue it professionally, but I still appreciate the whole art of coming up with things, you know, the whole process, the whole creative process. I think the show has been really cool at kind of showing that in little uh, tidbits while kind of doing the traditional anime rom-com things. Um, the other one that I watched, uh, it is kind of like the train wreck trash show of the season. Um, it's just called Kanojo, uh, Kanojo. Um, it's a quasi harem anime where it's one guy, two girlfriends. Um, they're not totally one of them's consenting in them being in a three-way relationship. One of them is reluctantly in the three-way relationship. It's kind of a weird comedic, but somehow trashier version of what was that other one I recommended to you, Mike, a domestic girlfriend. So this is a bit of a train wreck. I don't totally know what it's about yet, but uh, I'll see where it goes a little bit longer. Um, on the movie front, I did go and catch a movie in theaters. Um, and going back a couple weeks, this is why I, will, I, I always say I'm not a fan of the Fast and the Furious series, but I don't begrudge people who care to see it. You know, I just say it's not my thing because, you know, a lot of people aren't making it to the theaters these days. So you think if I went to the theater, it must be something pretty good. Huh? No, I just I was bored. It was a five dollar matinee. I had the day off. I, I was looking for something to do. Um, I saw Snake Eyes. Uh, I saw the Snake Eyes origin movie. Um, there's a <laughs> I, I uh, there's a YouTube channel called Beyond the Trailer, and I really like her as a film critic. Um, I tend to like her opinion on a lot of things. She covers a lot. Uh, Grace Randall is her name. She covers a lot of nerd media, and I generally kind of agree with her opinion. She gave a glowing review to Snake Eyes. Um, but after I saw the movie, I much more leaned on another YouTube uh, critic named Jeremy Johns. Uh, and his his short review was um, Snake Eyes is very deserving of a movie with the name Origins in the title. Um, as kind of a bad homage to uh, Wolverine Origins. Um, I was talking to Mark about it. There is good stuff in it. Like, the set pieces, the way it's shot, some of the action sequences are really good. The movie looks well shot. It looks well made. It seems like it was handled by people who care about the subject matter. Fucking super ninjas are always going to be cool to me. Like, you know, my favorite part about G.I. Joe was Snake Eyes. It was Storm Shadow. It was Slice and Dice. My very first dog when I was three years old was a pug named Budo. Budo was a G.I. Joe samurai that I had an action figure of. Like, I, you know, G.I. Joe spoke to me. I loved all those ninja crap, even if it didn't make sense, even if it was cultural appropriation out the wazoo. But I think there is a real respect to it. Um, the star is Henry Goulding who was one of the lead men of Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, the co-star who plays Storm Shadow is Andrew Koji. I told Mark, I love this guy. He's the lead actor in Warrior. Um, I think he's a fantastic actor. Mark got mad at me for saying this, but I said, he's the actor I wish got the role of Shang-Chi, not Simu Liu. Um, hey. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I love uh, Kim's convenience, uh, but acting-wise, I always, I like Simu Liu, but I always thought he was the weakest link of that sh- that uh that cast so um i still see it a little bit in some of these shang chi trailers uh i don't think he's a leading man um and you know i'd love to be proved wrong right it might just have been the character he was playing i would love to give him a chance right because none of us thought chris evans was the chris evans we know today based on all the kind of teen comedies 
we kind of saw him in um, in his earlier years. So um, I'm, I'm, I'll be happy to be surprised. But um, I love Andrew Koji. I, th- I thought he was good in the role. But there's just a lot of story beats that are fucking sloppy because you have to remember uh, G.I. Joe is a toy line. G.I. Joe is a toy line that they invented a story for, not a story that became a toy line. So, you know, when we talked about this last week. Which way is He-Man on that? Is He-Man a story, a story, a toy line first or then a story? Which one did they go with He-Man? Which way did they? I honestly don't remember. I thought it was toys more first. a generation I believe above it was us. Toys first because the executive producers, um, the executive producing uh, company is for Mattel? It is Mattel. Yeah. No, nobody watched the He-Man show yet, right? Actually, that was no. going to be my stuff. We like. Oh, good. Because oh, I want. We, I want, we, I want, we I want. someone to talking about it. Um, and so, uh, watchable. If you if you had any if you were the type of person who had any interest in seeing it, when it comes to streaming, it won't be a total waste of time. Um, well, none of us have random... Paramount Plus, so none of us are going to see it on streaming. So then, maybe <laughs> you won't. But when <laughs> I get when when when, new, when, when, when the Fraser rebounds. And someone acquires their library, probably HBO Max. Watch it then. Well, let me tell you, buddy. Uh, when they when they put out the Frasier reboot and it's on Paramount Plus, you guys can all use my login to watch uh, to watch this movie. Okay, <laughs> that's what's happening. Um, and then just lastly to close it out, uh, alluding to the thing that's been tiptoed around since the beginning of the show. Who is Heidelin Diaz? Um, Heidelin Diaz is uh, the new proud of. Uh, this isn't the stuff I like. This is the stuff I love today. Um, Heidelin Diaz is uh she today is a uh women's olympian weightlifter um and what her feat was is in 97 years of participation she brought the philippines their first gold medal ever um the the clip i I watched it early this morning um because that that time that that time change is rough it is as someone who can stay up late it is hard for me to watch live olympic events in japan right now but um if you go look up the clip uh with of heidelin with her uh her gold medal clinching uh li- like lift and everything uh the clean and snatch I don't, I don't remember i don't know the proper name of it i think that's what it is um but just her exuberance the pride of her coach um it's just truly a beautiful moment you know um i'm filipino by heritage um been a number of times to my ancestral land you know it's it's a poor it's a developing nation um you know they you know like our our joke as a Filipino is, you know, when you saw the Philippines in the Olympics in the closing ceremonies, because you know what they did? They'd all split up. They'd all have a Filipino flag. And one of them would go party with one of the other big nation. There's America. There's spot the Filipino flag. There's Germany. Spot the Filipino flag. There's China. Spot the Filipino flag. I don't, we didn't know what sports they competed in. We knew they were there though. Like that was our highlights as Filipinos. So, um, you know, she actually brought us a silver medal in the, uh, Rio Olympics, um, four years ago. Um, her story is amazing. Um, came from rural poverty in the Philippines. Uh, she, found a love for weightlifting, lifting PVC pipes and jugs of water. You know, she made her own makeshift weights um, just a couple years ago to even make the uh, Olympic qualifiers. She needed to beg for funding on Twitter, you know, because she's that impoverished. Um, During the qualifying, she was in Malaysia for a qualifying event. And you know what happened the day after? The pandemic. She got stuck in Malaysia for over a year, away from her home, away from her family, away from her camp. Um, and she, again, built her own weights using jugs full of water so she could continue to train. Um, and in this victory, not only did she win, not only did she bring the uh, first gold medal the Philippines has ever produced from an athlete, 
she beat um, the Chinese uh, competitor. She came in second place, was the world record holder in these weightlifting events. And uh, uh, Miss Diaz, she broke and set the new record in defeating her and thus claiming the gold medal. So, you know, um, the Stephon, Olympics. Let me ask a question. What's because up? I'm just assuming based on my me being Middle Eastern and how we view victories over Middle Eastern countries. I'm imagining you motherfuckers are relishing the fact that you beat China to win this thing also. We are. <laughs> It's one step back. In Asia, the the not enemy, that's not the right word, but the one, depending on which country you are, you it my enemy might be the right word, but the country we all want to hold it over is Japan. That's true. Japan that's has the, the one. <laughs> that's the one. in yeah. Asia. So is if you could beat the Japanese, like that's the one. Yeah, because yes, you know, Philippines, we were conquered by Japan. My grandfather uh, had to work as a translator, um, you know, when he his his whole city was in occupation. Like that's yep. the world that my grandparents came from. You know, um, it's still World War Two is still fresh in a lot of uh, Asian bloodlines. So um, China, it's a little old, more old world uh, kind of China. China is Asia, America, China, in that like China every never country subjugated you guys, Chinese right? Huh? China never subjugated you guys, right? I mean, look, right now, uh, this is how I describe Filipinos. Uh, we are <laughs> the most conquered island nation in world history. Uh, China was in there when we were original, original like Pacific Islander people. Spain got in there for a minute when I they mean, decided to conquer all those other Heidlin countries. Diaz. I mean, and then America came over and said, nah, you guys like I, basketball, even though you're short as hell. Like, uh, you I know. mean, I think the Spain was more than a minute. I mean, for the love of God, everybody's Catholic. <laughs> I mean, and you got a Diaz. I, I got a bunch of Diaz, cruises. Yeah. I mean, um, it used to be the thing is if you look Chinese with a tan but have a Mexican last name, you're probably Filipino. That used to that used to really be how we how do how do we how do you choose who the Filipino person is? That's that used to be the see, uh, little shorthand. The Olympics, and this, this is for um, I mean, my I'm I'm Persian, so and Iran wins a little bit. I mean, Philippines lucky to win are happy to win their first medal this year. Iran doesn't win a lot of medals. We used to have this guy every year who'd win the super heavy every time win the super heavyweight um, weightlifting. And uh, I used to like it because he used to grab the weights and he'd throw it up over. And in Farsi, he's saying the he's yelling the equivalent of "Oh, holy fuck!" every single time. <laughs> and we always enjoyed that. Yeah, we got I mean, one medal right now. We got it for shooting. The thing about the Olympics is right. We can all make fun of it because for a brief moment, we'll give a highlight to sports we won't think about again for another four years. But the reality is, like, Philippines are a very, very proud people. Heidelin Diaz is going to come home to a queen's welcome. Like yeah, she is going deal, to be a hero for the rest of her days. Um, and I'm so happy for her. Come from the beginning, she came from like, he, like I said, she made her weights out of PVC pipes that were left over from construction sites and filling the discarded plastic jugs of water. That's how she learned how to lift weights. You know, like. The, those kind of stories, you got to really root for people like that. So, um, yeah, I totally had tears in my eyes watching the clip of just seeing her true exuberance in that moment. Um, yeah. Just feeling very proud of her, you know. So, um, I That's hope she great. gets everything she deserves when she goes back home. You know what we're watching tomorrow night, though, man, right? At 9.40 p.m. is the tip-off where my people put a beating on Kevin Durant. <laughs> Mike, you gonna stay awake and watch? Twelve forty kickoff time bye. for you. <laughs> and you know I'm cheering for Iran in this one because no, you hero of Eugene, Oregon, <laughs> hero of Eugene, Oregon, Arsalan Kazemi, 
we even had to check if you had a familial relation because you're like, that's my mom's maiden name. It uh, is. Unfortunately, <laughs> you do not have a relation to one of the oh, heroes dude. of Oregon basketball. <laughs> oh, my God. I get all those. I get that jersey for sure. Man, we're going to get wrecked tomorrow night. Woo, that's how the United States gets healthy. We have Hadadi out there still. Hadadi looks like he's 50 years old. Just balding. It's great. Um, Mike. And this podcast is getting long, folks, but it's fine. We're having a good time. Mike, what do you mean, got this week? Only, only way Iran puts a beating on the American team is that they they literally bring those PVC pipes that uh, that Diaz used for training and like just brings them out onto the court. Um, for me, this week, it's going to be, uh, as mentioned before, the new Masters of the Universe show of Revelations on Netflix. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's uh, there was a show from back in the eighties. Um, Are you explaining He Man? Yeah. Okay. Oh, Just make right. them clear. Okay. <laughs> Just so I'm clear. Okay. <laughs> Essentially, uh, the main character was a guy named He Man. As you can imagine, he was muscle bound and very much a man's man. Um, Look, there's no manlier hero than He Man. Hell yeah. I mean, any character The Rock plays, I don't know what you're talking about. Should have got The Rock to voice He-Man. <laughs> uh, He-Man would have been Samoan. Rock would have demanded it. It was definitely uh, Masters of the Universe back in the 80s was a show that I remembered vaguely mainly because I had two older brothers. So um, by the time I was four, I was already well-versed in, in watching the show and at that point it was in reruns for the most part um back in like 80 89 or so um so it is something from my childhood i do remember very fondly and uh kevin smith um bobby's boy um of clerks fame and dogma fame uh he was the executive producer for this remake and i was going into this thinking um the show was going to go one way Two people on this podcast have not watched it yet, so I don't want to spoil what happens. But there's definitely huge curveballs um, when it comes to the um, story direction for this show that I really did enjoy. Um, it's only f the first part is only five episodes, um, 25 minutes long. So it's something you can get in and out of very quickly. I recommend it very highly. Masters of the Universe Revelations. Wait, you said two people. Did somebody else watch this? Because I haven't. Oh, I thought I thought you had watched it already. No, oh. no, I, I'm I'm a, I was, I'm not a big He-Man guy. I'm, I don't. I never had. A, I never didn't have older siblings, so I don't have the affinity for it that you guys might. But if you tell me it's worth time, my time, I'll probably check it out just because I like Kevin Smith, and I don't imagine you know Jay and Solomon Bob are voicing characters, but you know, uh, he's a smart. Jay is. He, Jay is. Yeah. Oh, is he? <laughs> Now I'm more interested, actually. <laughs> it's actually a pretty uh, star-studded cast um, of people on this. Well, the guy who vo voices He-Man, you're not gonna, you're not gonna know who the hell he is. Um, I know he played one of Supergirl's uh, boyfriends on the the CW show. I can't. Oh, remember I know who this is. Oh wow! <laughs> I, know, I, wa I watch Supergirl. That's well, why go I figure. Knew. Yeah, that show's <laughs> I was not, not good. expected you to That's know. That's not who a good was. show. Supergirl's terrible. But um, go ahead. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller uh, voices uh, Tila on the show. Buffy's uh, in the house. Yeah, Buffy, Buffy's <laughs> in the house. Um, Mark Hamill voices uh, Skeletor. Um, and yeah, there's uh, also a bunch of people that uh, you know Kevin Smith has directed in different movies and such. Um, that it's a lot of people that you know 
when you see the name, you're like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. Um, so really good show. Hey, Phil so Lamar's I. in this, man. Yeah, okay. Oop. Phil Lamar. Uh, he's in everything. Voice Phil Lamar is in he's everything. everything. I know, like, yeah. like Phil Lamar getting a check. I'm always in favor of Phil Lamar getting a check. I like when voice actors get to be voice actors, man. Mark told me a long time ago, why don't you get voice actors to do the voice acting parts? They do better. It's a fair assessment. We, um, I got some actual breaking-ish news in the sense that we missed it, but I want to have Mark talk about his stuff we like, and we'll end the show with that. So, Mark, go ahead. Yeah, I'll keep it short. Keep it tight. Um, so I have one really easy recommendation. Uh, me and Christine caught on to the show called Wellington Paranormal. Uh, that's actually kind of, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess technically it would be a spinoff from what we do in the shadows, the movie, not the television show. Um, it essentially is kind of one of those docu-series comedies like The Office or Parks and Rec where um, you're following these New Zealand cops and they're just dealing with paranormal stuff. So um, this is Jermaine uh, uh, and uh Teki Watiti, I always fuck up his name, uh, were producers on the show. And I would say, like, I don't think it quite reaches the heights of what we do in the shadows, the TV show. That being said, that's an insanely high bar to to overcome. And I think this is a really fun show, um, especially if you like kind of the New Zealand humor. This takes place in New Zealand. It's just full of that type of comedy, which I really enjoy. I've really been enjoying it. So this show is actually randomly enough it's airing on the cw um but you can catch it streaming on hbo now that's where i've been watching it and the last thing i wanted to mention first stuff we like this week you know the audience might not know i don't know how old our uh demographic is but as i get older your, your taste in things change and one of the things i like this week i don't think i would have ever said <laughs> years ago but um me and Christine went to a farmer's market, and that was really nice. And I'm getting close to 40. Is that, That's what that's like, because I used to go to a farmer's market as a kid, and I was like, this shit sucks. Why am I outside? Why am I not playing video games? But uh, yeah, in San Ramon, there's a big city center. They have farmer's markets every Saturday. Uh, we decided to go, and there's some good eats there. So yeah, enjoyed that quite a bit. Getting close to 40. That's what I'm I feeling. Had them tomatoes. You got some tomatoes? You know, you know I, guy, we, we uh, went to an English place and got a uh, sausage and a roll. We got some good cookies. You know, it was really mostly just eating stuff. And we, we did get some where, peppers from one where of the, the fruit at? Where the fruit at, man? You're at a farmer's market. You ain't get no fruit? We got we got peppers. We got bell peppers and jalapenos. That's what we what got. From fruit? Like the dude, the, dude, the farmer's market's <laughs> legit. I, I'm, I'm all about it. There's a guy selling hummus at the one in uh, yeah, Walnut there's a, Creek. There's a hummus guy there. Was the hummus yeah. guy there? I think it's the same hummus people. Yeah. They go from all the, all these. Mm -hmm. If you got if you run if you go past them again, Marcus, you got to get the ch the pita chips from the hummus place. Wait, they're a second. delicious. Wait a second. Maybe I don't know what a farmer's market is. Isn't it like they just sell fruit and like vegetables? They sell other shit too, though. People will sell. It's like, a lot. Of, you know, it, it yeah. is some of that. It was mostly. It's more like I, I don't small know. businesses. I don't. I mean, I think some fruit is in season, but maybe. But it was mostly veggies. I saw mostly, you know, and oh. then but then it's a lot of food stands too. So there's a guy at the Walnut Creek one, which is where I live, who, who does knife sharpening. That's his. That's his. So there was a guy does. knife sharpening too. You know what? It's, not, a, it's a, not a hot ticket <laughs> item, Bobby. Not a no. We'll go into sharpen the knives. At the well, no one, no one's going there with knives. <laughs> is it a? Is it a Latino gentleman? don't think so i think it's an old rugged looking honestly thing. i walk over there i buy two or three hummus <laughs> things with the chips and i go home that's my farmer's market experience okay what i'm about to say is going to sound like bad news but uh it actually is good news so ufc 268 which is the one with usman and covington is on november 6th do you guys want to know when ufc 267 is exactly seven days before that Ooh, double header okay to paper back-to-back numbered events. However, UFC 267 is not going to be a pay-per-view. 
There's gonna be no, I mean, it's gonna be a numbered event with no charge. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be an ESPN Plus and ESPN. The okay. reason for this is that it is happening in Abu Dhabi, and it is going to mm-hmm. be at 8 a.m. Pacific time, which let me tell you, Mark, is the happiest I've ever been for a fight card pay-per-view time because I am all about me making an omelet and getting a cup of coffee and watching the fights. That is the experience I'm looking for here. I believe when uh, Anderson fought Damien and uh, who what, was BJ Penn on that Abu Dhabi card as well? Yeah. Uh, I believe, yeah, my morning was uh, I was in uh, on my couch and I had a nice blanket going. Uh, my then girlfriend made me a cup of coffee. It was a great time. It was very yeah. chill, uh, chill watching. Mike, I'm sure you'll appreciate that the sun will still be out at the conclusion of this card. Oh, let me, it's going to be so beautiful. Let me tell you, actually, I learned this. My friend Amir Ali was telling me he was at that card. He wasn't a big, he's not an MMA fan, really, but he was at that card. He was with some friends. And he said everybody was so fucking pissed about the main event because it was hot and miserable and it was terrible. Um, so anyway, that's happening in Abu Dhabi at 8 a.m. And the fight card, main event, this stuff, you're just going to be happier. Main event is Jan Blahovich versus Glover Teixeira. So you got your Jan in there in the morning. Okay. And co-main event, we fucked this up, guys. Co-main event, Peter Jan versus Aljamain Sterling. Nice. So that's when it's happening, October 30th. Also on that card, Kazmat Chimeyev is back. To murder Li Jing Lang. So I'm officially very excited for this card on every level. It costs me no money. It's at 8 a.m. Because God knows I don't sleep. I'll, I'm on weekends. I'll be up, but for sure. I'm just going to sit there, make a giant, maybe like a frittata. It'll be a good breakfast. Anyway, um, that's all we got this week. Um, well, stuff we like got out of hand. I don't even talk about Ratchet and Clank or Tony Hawk because I bought those games. Um, anyway. I was Dr. Law, that was Kid Presentable, that was DJ Mark, and that was Mr. Lavender Gooms. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Get vaccinated, stay safe, yada, yada, yada. None of you are listening who aren't going to do those things, but the other ones already got vaccinated. America's broken. See you all next week. Peace out. See ya. Cheers. Cheers.